Your scripture reading this evening will be coming from John 16, verse 13. John chapter 16, verse 13. And it reads, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And when he, when he tells you, he will tell you things to come. This past week, I was honored to be able to speak on the Faulkner University lectureship. It was a very excellent theme, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to perhaps share some of my thoughts with you tonight on some things that I presented. I kind of thought I got in a quandary, though. Several weeks ago, as I was preparing for this particular uh, lesson, I came across an illustration that I was going to use during my lecture to kind of introduce my thoughts, something a little humorous, and lo and behold, when I got to chapel on Monday, the speaker there used the same illustration, but in a slightly different type of format. But the illustration was going to go this way. You know, a preacher's five-year-old daughter noticed that, you know, her father always paused and bowed his head before he went up to the podium to preach. And one day, his little daughter said, why do you always do that before you preach? And he said, honey, I'm asking the Lord to please help me preach a good sermon. And the little girl replied, well, why doesn't he ever answer? <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I thought that was very clever. And then I got that on Monday. But anyhow, sometimes that's how it goes. You know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there are many things that we can certainly know there are many things that we cannot know. I think Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 is a passage that we always need to keep in the forefront of our minds. And there the Bible says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things that have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So you see, the only thing that we can know about the Holy Spirit is what God has told us in his word. In fact, we would not even know there existed a Holy Spirit if God had not revealed that to us. Now, some folks today have a better felt than told mentality, not only about the Holy Spirit, but regarding other religious matters as well. I've even had Bible studies with some folks on occasion, and they might make the statement, I wouldn't trade what I feel right now in my heart for all the Bibles in the world. And you can even take the Bible and you can point out from a particular passage of the Bible what it says on some particular subject and that person will reply, I see what the Bible says, but so what? You know, this is the nature of the time in which we live today when relativism and political correctness seem to dominate our thinking even regarding religious matters. There's no right, there's no wrong. Everything is subjective. It's all up to the individual. You know, it's how I see things that, that really matter. It's the sincerity in my heart regarding what I believe. Now, I hear a statement quite often, and I 
It bothers me when I hear it. I know they may not mean exactly what they're saying, but I hear people say sometimes, you know, God put this in my heart to do this or that. Well, did he? Because if he did, I certainly want to do it. I want to follow it, don't you? You see, we need to be careful when it comes to allowing our feelings and our emotions to determine any course of action, particularly when it comes to religious matters. And when it comes to what God has revealed to us, we need to understand that everything God wants us to know has already been revealed. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, His divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. In our scripture reading tonight, in John 16 and verse 13, Jesus said, when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you, the apostles, into all truth. In other words, there's not going to be any more revealed truth left. If I drink everything that's in this cup, if I drink the entire cup of water, there's absolutely nothing left to drink anymore. And so Jesus said he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare unto you the things that are to come. Now, I'm not going to talk about uh, this tonight because I'm not dealing with it. But we know that this inspired inspiration was confirmed by miracles, signs, and wonders. We need to understand that back in the first century, they didn't have Bibles like we have today. They couldn't take their Bibles and, and turn to book, chapter, and verse and say, well, here's what God says in his word about this particular matter. They did not have the New Testament. And so the message back in the first century when the church began, the message was in the inspired men. And now that message is in an inspired book. And the Bible tells us that the purpose of these miracles and signs and wonders, many which are listed at the end of Mark chapter 16, were for the, for the purpose of confirming the word. To prove that what these inspired men were saying was in fact from God. And according to Hebrews 2 and verse 3, that word has been confirmed. And now we have the message in an inspired book that has been verified and that can be understood. And so revelation from God has always required a confirmation. I don't want to believe something just because somebody said it's true. It needs to be confirmed to be true. And that's exactly how God relates to us even today. 
And if you say, you know, God put this into my heart, that's fine. But you need to be able to confirm it. You need to be able to prove it because revelation from God always requires a confirmation. I think about an individual on one occasion in the church that stood before a group of people and he began by making the statement, you know, God has put this message into my heart to, to give you tonight. And not very long into the lesson, he said, well, I just can't seem to find the words to get this point across to you that, that I want to make tonight. Well, I guess there was some faulty revelation there from God. That didn't exist in the first century. You know, the inspired message was in the inspired men. And that message was confirmed. And that's how God has always related to man. For example, when Moses was told by God to go deliver the people out of Egyptian bondage, in Exodus 4 and verse 1, Moses said, God, behold, they will not listen to me. They will say, they, the Lord has not appeared unto you. Now, God didn't rebuke Moses for his unbelief, but instead gave Moses miracles that would serve to confirm that what he was saying was in fact true. And God's revelation and the confirmation of it produces a faith that's known to be true. Jesus said, we can know the truth. John chapter 8 and verse 32. Paul said for us to understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5 and verse 17. You know, Philip over in Acts chapter 8 validated the divine origin of the gospel that he preached to them in the city of Samaria. The Bible tells us that those Samaritans believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ because of the miracles which he did. And so the point I'm trying to make tonight in the very outset is that God has already revealed to us everything that he wants us to know. I can take my Bible, I can read it, I can understand it. And if I reject God's revealed truth, if I reject God's authority, then I stand under condemnation. Now, what is and what does the Bible teach concerning the relation of the Holy Spirit to the written word of God? What is the Spirit's relation to revelation and inspiration? Are the word of God and the Spirit of God one and the same thing? Does the Spirit have any work in salvation, sanctification, comfort, or glorification that he does immediately without any medium? Or does he do all these things through the written word? I want us to look at some of these ideas tonight. But this is a point I want you to get if you don't get anything else. The primary concern of the Holy Spirit is to bring man to God and to reveal God to man. 
The Holy Spirit of God is therefore the author of the word of life. He is the author of the Holy Scriptures, God's unerring revelation to man. Now let's consider tonight, first of all, <clears throat> the idea of revelation. You know, God has revealed himself to man in various ways. For example, back in the Garden of Eden, God spoke directly to Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and following. Noah was given personal instructions by God in order to escape the coming judgment of God upon that wicked world in which he lived in Genesis 6 and verse 13. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were personally comforted by the divine promise of their seed becoming the means for a worldwide blessing, ultimately through Jesus Christ. And of course, we know that it was the audible voice of Jehovah that spoke to Moses from the midst of the burning bush in Midian and told him to go back to Egypt and to deliver those people out of bondage in Exodus chapter 3. But God's also revealed himself through his wonderful creation, the physical world in which we live today. And of course, with the weather uh, being what it is, we are seeing things come alive. We don't like the pollen, but it's a beautiful time of the year. And of course, David sang in the 19th Psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And so evident is this relation and this revelation of God himself that Paul concludes that those who would deny the existence of God are inexcusable. Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. And so existence, order, design, purpose in this physical world testify to the wisdom, the glory, the power of our God who is the creator of all things. But God has also revealed the exact nature of his invisible attributes through the eternal word, Jesus Christ. In our Lord's life, in his death, his resurrection, Jesus reveals to man exactly what God is like and what God would have man to be. In Christ, the invisible God becomes visible to the wondering eyes of those that would love God. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, in our lesson tonight, we're mainly concerned with the written Word of God. God's permanent and definite revelation to man. 
And I want to notice briefly tonight the origin, the revelation, the preservation, the inspiration, the authority, the power of the written word and the Spirit's relation to these things. Now, in order to proceed with clearness tonight, I think we need to properly understand what revelation and inspiration actually are. Revelation is the action of God that enables us to know the unknowable. Those things that we cannot discern with our own senses and abilities. Now keep that in mind. There may be a test after we're done tonight. Revelation enables us to know the unknowable. Inspiration, on the other hand, is that action of God upon man that enables him to inerrantly record this revelation for the good of mankind. All scripture is the result of inspiration. But not everything recorded by inspiration is a matter of revelation. For example, the historical accounts that we can find in Kings and Chronicles did not need to be revealed. They were matters of history. However, the recording of these things for our hearing was a matter of divine inspiration. You know, that there was a place in Judah named Bethlehem was simply a geographic fact. But that the Messiah was to be born in this obscure village was a matter of both divine revelation and inspiration. Many of the words of Job and his friends are simply the twisted reflections of men that did not understand the nature of God. However, these words are recorded by inspiration for our admonition and instruction. And when we get down to Moses, we observe that the activity of a prophet comes into full display. God spoke to Moses and finally said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, I'm going to raise up a prophet from among the brethren, like unto you, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. And of course, we know that after Israel inherited the land of promise, the office of prophecy became more and more prominent. We know that school of the prophets arose, 1 Samuel chapter 19, and, and with the rise of the kings following uh, the judges, we know that the office of prophet reached its full fruit in such men as Amos and Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah, and of course, upon the return from Babylonian captivity, God raised up Haggai and Zechariah to encourage the people in the rebuilding of the temple. And, and finally, Malachi comes on the scene and he cries out against the people's idleness and indifference. Now consider the spirit and revelation. What part does the spirit play in the revelation of God's will. Well, Peter presents us with the key to this question. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, For no prophecy ever came by the will 
of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so the source of prophecy, according to Peter, is God. And furthermore, it is attributed to the influence of the Holy Spirit upon men, bearing them from one place to another as a moving van transports furniture from one city to another. And when you go back and look at the Old Testament, the Spirit's, the Spirit's influence is claimed by many there. For example, David claimed the Spirit spake by him in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. And Jesus substantiated that claim over in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 43. And many times in the New Testament, we find where specific Old Testament prophecies are attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see revelation, we see the relation of the Holy Spirit to revelation. Now let's consider inspiration. The word inspire has many meanings today. But in the New Testament, it has a singular meaning. The word is found in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, where the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, the word in the original that's translated inspiration literally means God breathed. And this clearly shows that the scriptures are a divine product. And that being true, Paul can appeal to the scriptures as being accurate, reliable, relevant, and useful. Now, it's not my purpose tonight to in any way try to prove this idea of inspiration, but simply to notice the Spirit's relation to this action of God. And so consider now the Spirit and inspiration. What is the Spirit, what is the Spirit's exact relation to the inspiration of the Word of God? I think we can see that in four lines of investigation. Number one, the claim that Old Testament writers were spokesmen of the Holy Spirit of God. And number two, the statements of the Savior, the apostles, and the prophets that are in agreement with those claims. And then number three, the promise of divine guidance that Jesus made to his apostles in regard to both themselves and to their message and number four, the repeated claim of the apostles and prophets that they were speaking and they were writing the eternal truths of God through the Holy Spirit that had been given unto them. You know, the writers of the Old Testament assert with very little attempt to prove that they were spokesmen on behalf of God by his Spirit. We've already noticed a passage in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. David said, the spirit of Jehovah spake by me. His words were in my tongue. Like matter, Isaiah said, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, says Jehovah. My spirit is upon you. My words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth. Isaiah 59 and verse 21. I think one of the most vivid claims 
along this line is found in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5 where the Bible says, And the Spirit of Jehovah fell on me and said unto me, Speak, thus says Jehovah. Now the claims of all these prophets find sufficient confirmation in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus himself attributes the words of David to the power of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 22. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter said, The scripture should be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spake before by the mouth of David. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 25, Paul applies a prophecy of Isaiah to a current situation. And he said, well spake the Holy Spirit through Isaiah the prophet unto your fathers. And Peter even tells us later on that although these men were empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak, even they did not understand the full significance of everything they spoke. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. It is and was the Spirit who was to teach the apostles. John 14, verse 26. He was to recall to their minds all that Jesus taught them, thus leading them into all truth. And so we need to realize tonight that the Holy Spirit is to guarantee both the correctness of the witnesses and the trustworthiness of their message. I wish you would turn with me to John chapter 16 and verse 12 tonight. This is something that I would encourage you to take note of and underline in your Bible. Jesus said, I have many things, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but what things soever he shall hear, these shall he speak, and he shall declare unto you the things that are to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall declare it unto you, all things whatsoever the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he taketh of mine and shall declare it unto you. Now I want you to notice the following from this particular passage. The words of our Lord. Jesus said here, <clears throat> specifically, he states that even for the apostles, there are going to be many things that would not be revealed by his earthly life. But Christ goes on to say that I'm giving you the assurance that such revelation will come to you from and through the Holy Spirit. And number three, with such truth and guidance from the Holy Spirit, the apostles would be spokesmen for God, speaking the very words of God, speaking with God's authority. You know, those apostles demonstrated in their writings that they firmly believed without any doubt whatsoever that their message was God's message through the Holy Spirit of God who had empowered them to so speak and write. 
Paul's claim for his message was that it wasn't the product of man's wisdom, nor was an understanding of it attainable by man's wisdom, but it was simply the revelation of God through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And Paul further claimed that God's entire purpose in Christ had thus by the Spirit been revealed to the apostles and prophets. And Peter even said that the things that had been hinted at by the prophets of old had now been openly preached unto us by men of the Spirit. Now because of these facts that we've talked about tonight, we need to conclude and we must conclude that the Holy Spirit of God is the author of God's word of life. The Bible that you pick up tonight, the Bible that you hold in your hand tonight is the product of the very Spirit of God. Now some say today that the Holy Spirit and the Word are one in the same thing. But I think the fact that that cannot be true is found in several passages. For example, in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2, David makes a clear distinction between the Spirit that spake by him and the Word the Spirit spake. In Ezekiel chapter 2, the Spirit falls upon Ezekiel and he's told to speak the Word of God. But I think the clear passage, Ephesians 6 and verse 17, shows the separation between the Spirit and the Word better than any other passage. And there in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says, And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, the Spirit and the Word are no more the same than is the soldier and his sword. One is the weapon. The other is the power behind the weapon. Now, very interestingly, we learn in Romans chapter 8 there, we can find a work that the Spirit himself does that is of interceding on behalf of a saint's unutterable groans. The Bible there says, And in like manner the Spirit also helps with our infirmities, for we know not how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's a work of the Holy Spirit separate from his work through the written word. And I think we need to understand when it comes to things like this, it's not what the Holy Spirit ever does to us, it's what the Holy Spirit does for us. In Psalms chapter 139, verses 7 through 10, David attributes the work of providential leading to the Holy Spirit of God. He says in verse 10, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and your right hand shall guide me. 
In Acts chapter 8, when the Lord wanted Philip to go preach to the eunuch, the Spirit led the preacher to the sinner. In Acts chapter 16, the Spirit forbade Paul to preach in Asia and Bithynia, but led him to Macedonia. And even so today, God answers our prayers providentially. We don't know exactly how. But we do know that God works today. And the Holy Spirit has been active in our lives. And so tonight we need to learn as I close that the Holy Spirit revealed the will of God. He inspired the recording of that will. And today the Holy Spirit works through that will, converting men and women to God in Christ. And the Bible teaches that the Spirit aids the saints' prayers when moments of grief, anxiety, and joy make words impossible. And I believe today and I think we can enjoy and benefit from his providential care and oversight. And so tonight, may we leave this building impressed with God's love and God's care for us. Thankful that God has revealed the way from earth to heaven. He's not left us to our own devices. And we can turn to God's word and we can find what God wants us to do, not only to be saved, but how to live this life and ultimately live with God forever in heaven. That word tells us if we want to be forgiven of sin, if we want a relationship with God, that of course requires an active, obedient faith. It requires changing our lives as we repent of our sins, acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God, and being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, thus being added to the Lord's church. Tonight we sing a song of invitation. If you need to respond... We ask that you come now while we stand and sing.